everyone. Welcome back to Who's There. I'm your host, Allison. If you're new here, thank you for joining us. This is a podcast where I talk to a new horror fan every week because I hope to destigmatize what it means to be a horror movie fan. Because most of us are just regular people who like the adrenaline rush of being scared for some reason, and here we delve into those reasons. I'm thrilled because this week I got to chat with the hosts of the podcast, The Horror Queers, Joe Lipset and Trace Thurman. We talk about how they met and came up with the idea for The Horror Queers, how they choose their movies and plan out their calendar, and how they first fell in love with the genre. Pro tip, never tell your kids that they can't watch horror movies because they are too scary. We also talked about the pandemic, their favorite directors, and the kinds of horror movies that they just cannot handle. One last thing before we get into this episode, if you love the show and haven't left us a review on iTunes yet, I'd be so grateful if you could take a second to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe to our feed wherever you listen to us. Thank you to everyone who's already left us a review. It's so appreciated and it really helps people find us. I think that's it. So let's get into this episode with Joe and Trace from the Horror Queers. Hey, Joe. Hey, Trace. How are you? Doing good. How are you doing? (laughs) Good. Um, Thank you so much for being here. Do you want to start by telling everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from, etc.? Well, I'm Trace Thurman. Uh, I am, well, I'm from Louisiana, but I've I've spent most of my life in Texas. Grew up in Houston, live in Austin, Texas now. Um, I I don't know. I'm a big film buff. I went to UT Austin here in Austin and uh, majored in film and public relations and quickly realized I didn't like public relations so (laughs) I tried to do more focus on film um and uh I've been writing for Bloody Disgusting for about five or six years but the writing has definitely been on the back burner now because I co-host a queer horror podcast with Joe indeed yeah and I can take the baton from here so my name is Joe (laughs) Lipset I live in Toronto Canada I grew up out west, but came east when I was doing my undergrad and my master's in film studies, like Trace, actually. And my uh, my day job is actually in post-secondary education, but I like my moonlight lifestyle a little bit more. So uh, I haven't trying to keep up with the writing, but it's uh, sometimes a struggle because of the podcasting, because it's yeah. a lot more work than people do. It's a lot of work. <laughs> awesome. So first things first, what's your favorite scary movie? my uh it's <laughs> mine it, it, mine is scream 2 um there are uh, other better horror movies may exist i think i've heard of them uh but for me scream 2 it's uh it, it takes everything the first film did and it perfects it um not to say the first film is not perfect because it is very near perfect uh but it's just uh it's I'm even more defensive of it because it's from a period of horror that I feel like a lot of horror fans seem to shit on, which is that post-Scream era of like sanitized CW horror. And I say, fuck that. So uh, I love it. I love Scream 2. It's just, it's a perfect sequel and it's a perfect slasher. My pick is probably Hellraiser, in part because I have a very nostalgic connection to it. It's like one of the films that I got into horror based on because of my relationship with my sister. So she showed me a double bill of that and Candyman, and I was just kind of hooked. But I also love how sexually deviant it is and how mature it is. And I think the people who are fixated on things like A24 and so-called elevated horror uh, would probably see a lot of the genesis in something like the the sexual audacity and maturity of Clyde Barker. 
awesome. Um, <laughs> that's so interesting that you say Scream 2 is your favorite. I've never heard anyone say that. No, uh, we are a small but loyal crew. And of course, I'm sure people listening, they're like, um, what about like the classics, like Halloween or whatever? I'm like, I of course love Halloween. Like, and there's a We're bunch 90s of, um, babies too, right? Yeah. Like yeah, we grew right? up, the 90s horror was our bread and butter, especially the post-Scream renaissance. Well, and I, I just like, you know, being queer folk, you know, we're a marginalized group. The horror, horror fans are quote unquote, a marginalized group in the film world. So when I'm like, oh, well, this horror film is marginalized. I'm not, I mean, obviously people like Scream, I know. But like there's, there's a subset of like, quote unquote, true horror fans that like want the hardcore stuff. And I'm like, well, I like Scream too. So fuck off. <laughs> we can like Trashy Camp. We can like great sequels. Sometimes they come packaged together. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> um, so how did you both first fall in love with the horror genre? Um, go ahead. No, I got, I went first last time. (laughs) So as I mentioned, my sister was really responsible for introducing me to the genre. She would babysit me when I was younger and basically my parents would leave and give us kind of carte blanche to watch whatever we wanted. So we would raid the local video store and they had a specific section just for horror that you had to go across a drawbridge and like a moat and it was all decked out with scary music and uh, fog and that kind of stuff. So we would just look around at what we thought was the grossest, most scary looking horror covers and then we would pick it. And at the time we had no idea what we were doing, but we were picking things like Hellraiser and Candyman and Evil Dead 2 and uh, Brain Dead slash Dead Alive. So just all of these kind of seminal classics we didn't even realize what we were doing based solely on horror movie titles and from there it was just kind of like oh these are really fun and scary and campy and gross and it just seemed like a better genre of film than nearly any other so it was like yeah stick with horror yeah, for me, it was, um, it's, it's similar in the sense that I grew up like wandering the rows of Blockbuster, but the first movie I remember my parents ever telling me like, you're not allowed to watch this because it's too scary, um, was Hocus Pocus. Um, I was, I, I know, I, I would have been like four years old when it came to VHS. Um, and I just remember like, I saw it because it was like the new release wall. I was walking around Blockbuster and I was like, oh, I want to watch that. And my mom was like, I don't really know. It might be too scary for you. And I remember them watching on a Sunday morning and I walked in, they were halfway through it. And I was like, you know, sticking my four-year-old head in. um, Can I watch it? And they both look at me and just go, and for listeners, I'm shaking my head no, very sadly. Um, (laughs) uh, And there was something about that that I was like, I don't like that. Uh, And so it's like, it associated this thing in my mind that was like too scary equals like off limits. And thus I have to watch it. So it put this thing in me where I was like, oh, I need to watch scary movies. And so much of my childhood was spent combing through the horror section of Blockbuster. Not because I was like, oh, I want to look at all these boxes, which is very fun or was very fun. Um, But also because I was looking for something that was PG or PG-13. Uh, as I got older because I couldn't watch R-rated movies until I was about 15 and so I spent so much time going through the horror row going box by box by box by box trying to see what was PG-13 <laughs> so that's how I got into it what are some of your favorite PG-13 horror movies if you remember any of them Tremors was a big one for me Tremors uh, was really a good one big. too yeah um I'm trying to think of like uh 
I mean, like, I, I you know, it's PG because they existed before PG-13 came around, but uh, Poltergeist and honestly, I don't know if I would qualify it as horror, but like Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom uh, was definitely one that I was like, this is not appropriate for me, but it's really, really gross and cool. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah. On a previous episode, I talked um, with one of my guests and we both love PG-13 horror because mm-hmm. we both love The Ring. Oh, um, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. The Ring. And I I think you covered an episode on, on your podcast, which we will talk about soon, um, on What Lies Beneath. And I think oh, that's yes. PG-13 horror mm-hmm. as well. The, the Others is PG-13 horror. Mm-hmm. That, so. A lot okay, of ghost stuff. It's so funny that you mentioned what lies beneath too, because I remember seeing the trailer for that because that movie would have come out, I was 11. And I remember like praying, praying to God that it was going to be PG-13 because if it was not PG-13, I wouldn't have been able to see it. And the trailer for that, like little 11 year old Trace was like, oh my God, that looks so scary. I have to go see it. (laughs) Misusing your prayers so that you can go to PG-13 horror (laughs) movies. Well, because like, you know, you're watching like when you're watching TV and like the TV spot comes on, I'm just, okay, I'm waiting. I'm waiting for the rating. And every time it would be like, this film is not yet rated. I would get so pissed off. Oh, yeah, that one, that one is so good. I hope they never re- remake it. They are remaking the others, which I'm not yes. happy about. Yeah, but yeah. <laughs> it's going to be all CGI'd. It's unnecessary. This is true. Yeah. I mean, honestly, they, they just need to watch something like Haunting of Hill House or Bly Manor on Netflix. Like, that's how you should do that, yeah. that story. Yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, So this is something I ask everyone. Why do you think people who seem perfectly sane love the horror genre? <laughs> I, I'm going to loop Joe into this one because I actually had someone message me, like a random person email me um, last month because I had written an article for Bloody Disgusting that was like 10 horror movies that had the balls to kill a kid. And this person was like, you know, so th- they, they had suffered childhood trauma and they were like, I'm not really a horror fan, but I'm, I'm like working through therapy and I found your article and I'm just, I'm trying to understand and trying to give you the benefit of the doubt, but you seem like a really sick person to me. I just don't understand why you would want to see harm befall a child. And I was like, well, not a real child. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's the big thing, right? Is that there's definitely something cathartic about working through your fears in a safe environment where you know at the end of the film it will stop and oftentimes the heroes will win they will subvert or circumvent any kind of danger they will kill the monster uh i know for me and the reason trey said that he would loop me in is because i actually maintain a letterbox list of horror films where the child dies (laughs) and i I love it. I love that angle of horror films because to me, it also suggests that no one is safe. Like there's something so refreshing about a film that will say, yes, we will kill a child because in a horror film, everyone should be fair game. And if you think about it, children would probably be the first to go because they would have no ability to protect themselves. Mm So I I do love films that are willing to say, we are going to push the envelope because we know that that's what you're looking for in horror, but it is all cathartic. Like, and I think at this point, we're now so jaded that Mm -hmm. it's not like there's a lot of scariness in the genre left for us, or it takes a lot to get us there. Like we're chasing that dragon constantly. No, but- I think, no, because I I will 100% agree with you. And for me, it's even like, as I started getting into horror, it's like riding a roller coaster, right? You're going for the thrill. Um, And now it's like, because it's jaded, but it's also like, 
we've seen so many different types of, I mean, I'll say gore, even though obviously like gore, horror isn't just gore, but like whenever I see a new kill that I'm like, I've never seen that done before. Mm-hmm. Like I can see someone looking at me and being like, why? Like, that's gross. Like there's, there's a movie that's coming out soon in which a, a person's head gets like run through a bread slicer. And I was like, I've never seen that before. That's really cool. But it's also just like, I don't know, it's like the taboo of just violence. It's like, I, I, obviously, if, it, if it's a real, like a snuff film, no, I don't want to watch that. Um, it's more so that I, I'm aware it's a film, it's fiction, um, it's effects. And it's, I mean, Joe and I had both been through film studies in film school. So it's just things where we're like, oh, the art of cinema. But sometimes, yeah, it's also just like, holy fuck, that's really gnarly. And that's cool. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Um, so what films are on your list of, uh, films where the kids die. I'm just curious. Oh gosh, uh, I think there's like 70 of them now. The Blob is for sure one on there. The remake yes. of The Blob. Oh, and that one is like easily one of the top five best ones too, because it's a character that you don't enjoy, but then you think, oh, well, he's a kid, and sure, he's a nuisance, but they're not going to get rid of him, and then he just gets a super gnarly death. Yes. Um, if we want to, and that's like a that's a fuck yeah kid death, but like one that's like sad. Like you could even say the orphanage. Is mm-hmm. a kid death. Um, don't look me, now. Don't look now. Um, oh, Quiet Place One opens with a child's death, mm-hmm. um, which uh, is great. And then actually, I'm, I'm like going to look for your list right now. I'm like, oh my god, I, I've seen this list before. <laughs> I'm okay yeah, with but- child death as long as the dog doesn't die. Well, and that's an interesting thing, right? Because I'm right. kind of the same way. I don't want to see an animal of any sort in jeopardy or pain. My my internal logic is, well, an animal can't take care of themselves. And I guess someone could retort, well, neither can a child. But in my mind, I'm like, but a child can communicate. Mm-hmm. Um, an animal outside of the sounds they make can't. And there's something to me that I find so difficult to watch about something that can't communicate in spoken words about what they're thinking and feeling. Yeah, And definitely. for me, I find the the issue with animals being killed is often they're a substitute because we don't actually want to kill human beings or yes. not yet. So let's take an easy emotional way to manipulate your audience. And I'm just like, no, do your job. Kill your human characters if you <laughs> need to kill someone. Yeah. That's a really interesting um, argument. I've never heard that before, but it, but it makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what would you say are your favorite subgenres in the horror genre? <laughs> <laughs> we actually share a lot of them joe but i mean we do slasher and aquatic horror are always my yes. go-to it's like cr- creature features but then like the sub sub genre within creature features is aquatic horror like any kind of water based and it could be a creature it could not be a creature but i do prefer it when it's like a cre- an aquatic creature and so yeah. wait what kind of movies fall into that category because i'm having trouble thinking of aquatic horror oh right it's now. like alligator anaconda Jaws, deep rising deep blue sea yeah um zombievers crawl <laughs> yeah yes crawl oh my god yes uh, um, sh- uh sharknado is that yeah i mean that, that that could technically apply as aquatic horror um i, I must I mean, even with crawl like I, it's for me it's like when water is brought into places that shouldn't have water so crawl it's like okay <laughs> you're in a house that's flooded by a hurricane um or even like, I'm trying to think of a movie that incorporates like, you know, Deep Rising is like, okay, you're on a cruise ship and there's like tentacles in the water. Like there's something so terrifying about that. Yeah. And I just, um, yeah, but I mean, even like, uh, I'm trying to think of a, a aquatic horror that doesn't involve a creature, right? Like, um, I guess Sphere is aquatic horror. Uh, yeah, it. I mean, Ghost Ship is my oh, yeah. kind of default yeah. go-to where I'm like, I mean, it's not a great film, but it's it's fun because it's set on the water. Things like Virus even. 
Yeah. yeah. That's on also my list. Ghost Ship is on my list of movies to watch. Um, yeah, another one funny. that takes place on a boat is a Triangle. Yes. Yes. Okay. So yeah. even though like it's on the water, but it's not really a lot of in the water stuff, but I still yeah. would qualify that as aquatic horror. Yeah, it's on a boat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, who would you say are your favorite horror directors? We've covered a lot of Wes Craven. And I think that's partially just because he is such a master of horror, but also mm-hmm. because he has done a lot of the most important films in the genre over successive decades. So we've covered Last House on the Left. You know, we've talked about Nightmare on Elm Street. We've done Scream. We've done Cursed. Well, I mean, I, I, it's, it sounds so obvious to be like Wes Craven and John Carpenter, but there is a reason that these men are so prolific within the genre. But even if you mm-hmm. want to go to something modern, like, I, I mean, again, one of my favorite modern horror directors is Mike Flanagan. Um, but that's also, he he has a really good sense of pathos in horror films, uh, which I don't think you always get in your typical horror film, which again, sounds even reductive to say, but I always feel very strongly when I'm watching a Mike Flanagan horror film and Mm -hmm. I, I also get really creeped out. So. Yeah. yeah. And of course, I mean, there's there's plenty of contemporary folks like Mike Flanagan is joined by, you know, all the obvious new people like mm-hmm. Chris Landon, James Adam Robitel, James Wan, Lee Winnell, um, Jordan, I mean, oh, Jordan Peele, obviously. But, yeah. you know, I'll, I'll give a shout out to some classics like we've watched a lot of James Whale films yeah. for the podcast lately. And he's groundbreaking in some of the things that he does. And then I really like Val Luton films, not a director, but a producer for RKO did a lot of female centric queer horror films in the forties. Oh, nice. I'll have to, I'll have to look into into him. (laughs) An article came out last year that said that horror movie fans were handling lockdown better than non-horror movie fans. Why do you think that was? Uh, we've been preparing for this moment all of our lives, haven't we? Like, it gave us a, a reason to stay inside and watch more movies. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I think those are the two different ways of saying it. It's like we we know what it kind of takes in terms of like keeping your mental faculty sharp, but also in the event of things like a zombie apocalypse or some kind of horrible outbreak, we know how to lock ourselves up, barricade the doors ration supplies and yeah just hunker down yeah i i don't have anything else to add to that i would just say yes (laughs) (laughs) totally fine um so you are the co-host of the podcast the horror queers which is part of the bloody disgusting podcast network which is awesome in case anyone hasn't listened before can you give a rundown about what your podcast is about um yeah i mean it it started so it started as a series of articles we did um joe what's the word epistillary (laughs) i never remember the word a pillar nope oh god now i've forgotten it (laughs) speaking of lockdown brain no so so we started so we started okay let's take a horror film with a queer like a queer angle or queer content or a queer creator of some sort and we'll just talk about it so we would you know watch the movie I would write, you know, like 700 words. Joe would reply to my 700 and then I would go again and then he would go again. So it was just like two sets of back and forth. Um, We did that for about a year and a half. And at the end of the first year, Joe was like, let's do a podcast on it. And um, because it really, I mean, again, our articles were already very discussion based. So we were like, it would just be easier if we could just talk about it for an hour instead of like, you know, throw 3,500 words out there at this thing that people might not read because it's too long. Um, (laughs) So... 
what we do is we look at a horror film and it we used to be more strict about the qualifications like it used to have to be like has to have a queer explicit queer content has to have some kind of queer factor and while that's great we did learn that we couldn't fully like there's so many titles that we would never be able to broach so that's where like the camp sensibility started to creep in a little bit and then sometimes it became oh well we read this film through our own queer lens, even though there is nothing explicitly queer about it and it's not campy. So, you know, when you look at something like What Lies Beneath, as we mentioned earlier, there's nothing in that film that's particularly queer, but the way that we might approach it might be distinct from someone who is coming at it from a more traditional perspective. Well, and I think, so on our, on our list for films that we want to cover, we're like, okay, what's the queer aspect of this film? And for What Lies Beneath, it was like Michelle Pfeiffer diva worship. So yes. it's like, <laughs> but, but it's because us, as, as at least as, men, as gay men, we're like, diva, Michelle Pfeiffer, <laughs> let's talk about her. Um, she's looking great. She's dressed in white and grays only, and she lives in a gorgeous house. What's not exactly. to worship? <laughs> um, but yeah, but then we can have a film that's, you know, I mean, you know, because people are like, well, when are y'all going to cover Nightmare on Elm Street 2? And we're like, oh, it's like, it's such the obvious pick, but we did it. We, we did cover it after like a year, but for that entire first year, people were like, when are y'all going to cover Nightmare 2? Because it's so gay. And we're like, we know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, sometimes so, we bristle at being told, oh, it's so gay. How come you haven't covered it? And it's like, well, you can go and listen to 12 other podcasts talk yeah. about this. So part of what we've tried to do is schedule a really broad range of films. So sometimes we do a very popular film like Sorority Row or I Know What You Did Last Summer. Mm -hmm. And then other times we say, you know what? We haven't talked about the creature from the Black Lagoon and we love aquatic horror. So why don't we dip back into the, you know, cinematic monster universe and give people something different that they may not hear otherwise? Well, and it's always fun too. I mean, sometimes what we'll do is we'll look for a queer reading, even if there's not, like, if there hasn't one that's been made we um i mean i'm trying to even think of when we covered martyrs like you know uh there are queer readings of that film but i came up with one that i, I mean i say this in the episode i'm like i don't know oh if this God. exists i didn't find it but i was like this is what i came up with in my brain without any other research it was like so i applied a queer reading to it that i was like oh like here's a positive way to view that this this queer aspect of this film but yeah i mean it's also we have pleasant surprises like sometimes we'll cover a film that we're like well there's no explicit queer reading but whatever but then i'll be like oh shit doing research the writer was gay uh the director was gay i didn't know we didn't know that when we programmed it but it just happens because in movies there are so many queer people that especially you know pre-2010 that weren't publicly like yeah out because they couldn't be i mean we covered urban legends too and the director of that is gay i had no idea until we started like, doing research on it Nice. Um, what are if somebody was going to start listening to your podcast? What do you think are the five episodes they should start with? Mm, it's interesting because we've had a bunch of episodes that we think are just like really fun and really reflective of kind of our camaraderie, like mm-hmm. the rapport that we've developed. But then we also have these things that kind of turn into very special episodes. So like yeah. one of the ones that we did last year on Better Watch Out with our mm. guest Ariel Fisher became this kind of like massive conversation about um, like women being gaslit and the effects of trauma because it's all about like really horrible misogynistic teen boys who are being coddled by their parents and encouraged to just mistreat women. 
And the episode is completely unreflective of what you will get yeah. most of the time. But it's also one of our very best episodes. Well, yeah, because our normal structure is like, you know, um, introductions, let's talk about production, let's talk about our relationship with the film, let's then, then let's go through the plot B by B. Better watch out, like the plot was thrown out the window. It was like, hope you've seen it. Let's talk about this as a broad stroke. And mm -hmm. so I would agree with Better Watch Out. I actually think our Hostile Part 2 episode yes. is a really good one. Um, that's, I mean, Eli Roth is obviously problematic as fuck, but like- Yeah, total garbage. I, <laughs> I, like, I, I believe Hostile Part 2 is a feminist horror film and it also yeah. has a queer protagonist. Like the protagonist is, a, is a, either a bisexual or a lesbian like, woman, but she's queer. And the word cunt plays a really big part. Like it's a plot point in the film. And oh, Joe like went into a deep dive about the etymology of the word cunt and why like it may not be like as bad as people think it is. I mean, of course it's a personal decision, but yeah. that was one that I thought was really good. I will stand by our martyrs episode. I think martyrs yep. is a great episode. Um, I feel like then like any of the episodes where Trace's husband, Ari, guess it's like, there's a different kind of weird rapport because it's like husband number one and then and fictitious number, two. <laughs> number two is there. So um, those ones can be really fun too, but yeah. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Wait, you're married to Ari Aster? Oh God, no. <laughs> I'm going to start oh my that God, rumor. That'd be amazing. Although, although I did beat Ari Aster in some horror movie trivia at Fantastic Fest back in 2019. And oh, I got to awesome. really, I get to send him up in front of a crowd full of people. It was really, well, he probably doesn't like me, but I, I was going to say, this is why we will never have Ari Aster on the podcast. I thought it was really funny when I beat his ass. That's awesome. Sore winner. I think, I think he seems like a fun horror nerd. So a nerd him, is but... honestly how I put it. He's very yeah. chill. Like he's yeah. very just like kind of quirky and I'm not gonna say weird. Like I don't think he's weird, but he's just like he's just yeah. I think when you think of like hereditary and midsummer, he's a lot more jovial than the man you would yeah. expect that direct that created those films. <laughs> I... Honestly, most horror films are right. Like yeah. when you when you hear stories, it's the people who have given us the worst nightmares are the kindest, nicest, most well-adjusted yeah. people in real life. <laughs> Yeah, definitely. Um, I saw on Eli Roth's show on A&E, The uh, History of Horror, I saw oh, yeah. uh, Ari Aster talk in some of the segments as a talking head. And I was like, if I didn't know who he was and I saw him at a bar, I'd be like, I'm going and talking. To I'm hitting on that guy. <laughs> he just seems like a totally normal, chill guy. Yeah, he's super cute. Hit me up, Ari Aster. Yeah. <laughs> I, don't know if you're, I don't know if you're straight or single. I mean- Whatever. I think I think he's straight. I'm pretty sure he's straight. I think I don't know he's if he's straight. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, did you guys do anything um, for Pride Month specifically? Not really this year. No. So last year we did. You know, we had a whole Pride Month. We covered like kind of some horror stables. Like we did Hellbent, which was by many was considered the first like outright queer slasher. We did Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, which just hit Shutter, and now people are discovering it. But like, it's a film that from the '80s with really positive gay representation. Yeah. We did the craft, killer unicorn. Yes. Nice. Um, it, for this year, we kind of opted not to do anything special for Pride. Um, we, we've kind of entered a mindset where it's like, we don't want to, I mean, obviously we're all for Pride, like Pride's a good month, blah, blah, blah. But we're kind of like, we don't want to specialize yeah it, it's not a significant to us in terms of celebrating queer content because that's our day-to-day -day job yeah. so mm -hmm. we're we're kind of happy to go on to other people's podcasts and help them spread some of that love but for us it's like this is really a, a full year 365 days yeah. kind of deal so yeah. 
Well, that and, makes, and we do, I mean, sense. like, it's it's Pride and Halloween. Like, basically, <laughs> we try to plan ahead for those months and be like, okay, let's record as much as we can in advance because we're going to get, like, an influx of, hey, can you do this? Like, can you can you come record with us? Can you come write this? Can you come film this? Because we're queer and horror, so Pride Month and Halloween Month are going to be the two where it's <laughs> like, we're just getting all these asks. Yeah, that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I've listened to a few episodes of your podcast, but I was specifically listening to your episode on Scream 3 because I saw that as I was scrolling. <laughs> I am a huge Scream 3 apologist. Ooh, I know. Okay. I so love it. So do you it. hate us now is what you're saying? No, I didn't get through the entire episode. I mean, one of you, one of you said it's, I don't think it's as bad as everyone originally made it out to be, mm-hmm. which is true. I don't, I think I loved the twist about, about, you know, her having a half brother and, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. I was 14 when I saw it. Yeah. So. Nostalgic um, glasses. Yeah. I, I saw it three times in the theater. That's how much I liked it. Well, nice. so I, I don't know if it's, I think in that, in that, that, that is our longest episode. It's like two and a half hours. Yeah. Like, it's really long. I'm like, this is, is longer than the movie. Too long. <laughs> yes. No, I mean, like most, our episodes tend to go from 90 minutes to two hours. We, when we started, it was like hour to hour 15. And like, as we, cause Joe and I didn't know each other. Like, we, we met once in person. Like we didn't know each other really until we started writing together. Then we started podcasting together. And as our relationship has like our bond has strengthened, our our rapport go, just goes on and on and on. <laughs> our inability to shut the fuck up has gone in yes. zero. <laughs> but no, but with Scream 3, I mean, like, I, I saw the first three Screams. My dad rented them for me when I was in eighth grade, so I was 13 or 14. And I watched one and two, and he had to return them, and I had three still. And I watched three, like, four or five times in a week before I had to return it, because I was like, well, I have to make this last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I also saw that you covered the craft legacy on an episode. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of that? What did you think of the craft le- legacy? We have interesting kind of mixed feelings with that because we had covered the craft, as we mentioned during Pride Month. Yeah. So we had revisited the original text fairly recently, and we both have some problems with the original. We can understand why it yeah why it works so much better for like a female teen audience and we don't have that same relationship but we do appreciate the film um the new film we actually both quite liked up until the kind of last act twist uh so spoilers for people who haven't seen the film basically there's a revelation and it the film does not stick that landing but up until that point it feels like they're really setting up a huge sprawling franchise like I know the the film received criticism because it included a really diverse mix of girls and then it doesn't really give most of them as much to do and we were forgiving because it really did feel like they were focusing on a couple of characters but that they had plans to look into the other ones but then the film underperformed as so much female targeted especially teen horror does so looking at you black christmas (laughs) uh but we we actually preferred this film to black christmas and a couple of other remakes just because at least it has a better sense of what it's trying to achieve yeah i'm someone who i'm really not wild about that first craft film i didn't grow up with it and i saw it for the first time when i was in high school and i was just kind of like i don't like these characters and i don't really i didn't really know what like I didn't delve into it past that, but in our episode on the craft, I was very much like, yeah, this is, I don't like these girls. I don't like what this film is saying about, and actually I think that's a film too, where the director's gay. I think Andrew Fleming is a gay man. He is. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I very much, I mean, I didn't love legacy, uh, but I, I do prefer it to the original. And yeah, I, I'm kind of on the same page as Joe here. Like I, I really appreciate a lot of what's trying to do, even if it's mm-hmm. not wholly successful. And I do think it like, 
metatextually references a lot of the things that I don't like about the first movie and tries to fix them sometimes well sometimes it's too on the nose like look we're fixing this mm-hmm. um but good intentions for me go a long way so yeah. I kind of like that helped me like that film more I think especially when I mean I know that some female viewers were a little turned off by the fact that it does give a lot of coverage to a bisexual teen boy but considering how underrepresented bisexuality is in horror films and also the kind of frankness and honesty that it portrays with that character we actually found a lot to give it like lots for 100% agreed yeah agreed I watched it actually on the plane home on Wednesday um, and I I had I had just heard that people didn't like it and it didn't mm-hmm. really get much word of mouth because mm-hmm. it was released to, to VOD yep. yeah. uh, last year, but I actually really liked it. Uh, I didn't like the, all the CGI that they no. threw in it with it, the magic. It's that last act. Like it, it just yeah. like, yeah. they're like, oh, special effect show. Now we got to end it. Yeah. Like th- that's mm-hmm. what it feels like. Yeah. Um, but I kind of really liked the last second when she goes to see her mother. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I didn't really understand what had happened until the, the credits started rolling. And I'm like, oh, wait, that was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I was like, it's oh, who you that's think cool. It is. Yeah. <laughs> but, so. but that makes it even more unfortunate that we're probably not getting a sequel to this film. Because I actually, yeah. like, if anything, like, the, while I, the film's like a three, maybe I give it a three and a half. Um, but, like, it's it makes me want to see more. It made me yeah. want to see more of this universe. Yeah. And I'm kind of bummed that we're not going to. I'm yeah. probably not going to. Yeah. Um, how do you decide to watch when you're looking for a new horror movie to watch or a repeat horror movie if you're just in the mood for something? Oh, those are two very different questions because <laughs> Trace has been doing a lot of rewatches lately because he's looking for comfort horror. Yeah. Whereas mm-hmm. I personally, like, I don't have time to do a lot of rewatching. So I'm often kind of like, okay, what is buzzy? What are we going to be covering on the podcast? Or what is something that's going to kind of fit what I'm looking for? So I've been really gravitating to movies that are 75 minutes to 90 minutes lately. It's like, (laughs) give me a short, succinct horror film that knows what it's doing. Even if it doesn't entirely stick the landing, I'm loving short horror right now. So not It Chapter 2? I mean, uh, we'll we'll see. We'll watch it. Like, we're, I mean, we're gonna go see it. Well, no, just because it's two hours and forty five minutes. It is bloated, and let me tell you, when I saw that movie at a near midnight screening, it was like, oh boy, settle in. Oh my goodness. Oh god, I couldn't have done that. You know, I'm, I have been doing a lot of comfort rewatches lately, but and so I've been behind on on keeping up with new horror. It used to be pre pandemic. It was like, okay, cool. Here are the horror movies coming out to the theaters this weekend. I'm gonna go see them. Bam. Right. It does become more difficult with streamers like I, I do keep a mm-hmm. list on my letterbox of like all the horror films that are coming out this year and I, t- I tend to add them um when I get a press release for them because then I'm like okay cool this is actually happening um yeah. <laughs> or just with the week they come out and that's the easiest way I've had to keep up with, with uh streaming films the problem is that the quality is so up and down so then I tend to go to like Twitter and I'm like paying attention hey what is someone gonna what is someone recommending or like a gem and so like the recent one like I've seen initiation um, initiation like initiation yeah. is one that honestly I wouldn't have given the time of day because the, the marketing materials for it didn't really do much for me and then I kept seeing like a bunch of people like horror journalists that we know saying mm-hmm. oh initiation is really good uh yeah. or quite good so I was like all right we'll give it a shot and I, I did enjoy it so unfortunately I, I am relying more on my peers to direct me on things because I yeah. I don't unlike Joe I don't review things on a weekly basis so anymore um 
so I look to the people I know that do <laughs> and I see what they're saying about things. Nice. I what mean, is letterbox. your comfort horror? Um, I, 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 what have I been watching recently? I mean, obviously all the screams, the Evil Dead remake. Um, yes. I, I watched Anaconda recently, which is oh, really nice. fun. <laughs> um, I... I don't know what are some like fun. I feel like I've also been dipping into a lot of non horror recently too, because mm-hmm. <laughs> I think because our lives are so saturated with horror that I'm like yeah. I'm gonna watch something dumb and funny. <laughs> but it's so funny too. Like you you end up finding horror even like you've been watching a lot of cartoons and you're like oh my god Rick and Morty is doing so many horror movie oh, yeah. references and mm-hmm. even things like you know he definitely name drops South Park in an episode recently and I'm like okay we are <laughs> we're just pulling it from all corners now. <laughs> But it's always fun when you watch something and you're like, oh, that's referencing a horror movie. And like, if you don't like watch horror, like you're not going to get it. But like, if you do watch horror, you're like, oh, look, these people have seen X horror movie. Yeah, definitely. Um, are there any horror movies that you won't watch or that you won't watch ever again? There is nothing that I have yet to see that I'm like, I will never watch that. Not that I will. It's like trying food. Like I'll always try something once. <laughs> Um, but then there's like other, there's films that I, I like to describe as they are experiences more than they are films. Like the, mm-hmm. the closest example I can think is something like Gaspar Noé's Climax or really any Gaspar Noé film. Um, <laughs> I love Climax. I think it's fantastic. I love it. I adore it. I never want to watch it again. Like, because, because it's so much of a sensory experience and it's meant to make you uncomfortable. It's meant to make you almost dizzy. And it's there's not a lot of plot it's just people that are on an acid trip and don't know it and it's just what happens to them Mm, uh and it's terrifying it's horrifying and it's so upsetting but i'm like i don't want to endure that again even though Mm -hmm. i think it's brilliant yeah and i i mean i think the other thing that you struggle with sometimes trace is that you you will go for the films that make you feel more comfortable, Mm -hmm. like things like scream slasher films, as opposed to something that is going to make you work a little bit harder or that is more Mm -hmm. contemplative and slow. Like Allison, I've been trying to get him to watch Don't Look Now for the entirety of our four year friendship. (laughs) And he's like, I'm just never in the mood. (laughs) I mean, it's like a two hour meditation on grief. And I'm like, I don't really feel like I'm in the mood for that right now. But look, there's also a little person murderer running around in a red trench coat and but it's bent in venice and it's got one like, of the sexiest sex scenes in history but the, the little person in the red coat that's that's like the last like that's the reveal at the last frame of the film so i'm it's like got I already psychic know twin sisters and and <laughs> so so but but, but 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 that's why we have the, that's why i'm glad we have the podcast because again yeah. it'll force me to re-watch something that mm-hmm. i maybe didn't like before that i now have to re-watch and revisit and like really think critically about or something that i'm like i've never seen that and i, I there's never a moment in yeah. time where i'm like oh sure i'm gonna like we just we record well we've done a lynch film recently it's coming out later so i'm not gonna say what it is but it's like i love this film but like i haven't seen a lot of lynch because i'm like i'm just not in the mood to watch a david lynch film Mm -hmm. and but the podcast will make us watch david lynch films (laughs) it it really is great for saying okay i've been meaning to watch this but i just never get around to it and that's part of the other reason that we do try to strategically program because like i haven't actually watched most of the universal monster films and because we've now covered bride of frank and Creature from the Black Lagoon, I finally crossed them off my list. Mm-hmm. So it's, yeah, it, 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 it's for the listeners, but also kind of for us. <laughs> yes. Because a lot of people are like, well, when are you going to cover this movie? And it's like, 
we've got other things that we want to cover for ourselves because yeah, it is our ahead. podcast like, <laughs> our, the rest of our year is scheduled and i think joe's already started our 22 2022 schedule because i saw that in our drive and i was like what the fuck joe <laughs> oh yes and it's like 80 percent filled out already <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, yeah, there are movies that people tell me to watch all the time that I'm just like, I'm not in the mood. I'm just, really yeah, watching. like, thank you for the recommendation. Oh, that's so nice. But no, I'm not going <laughs> to do that right now. Yeah, one movie that my friend Jody, who I share this account with, has been trying to get me to watch for forever is, um, uh, oh God, Slumber Party Massacre 2. Oh, okay. okay. See, see, that would be one though that I would be like, I would be quick to watch that because it's so it, it's silly fun, and yeah, that's the one that's female directors, right? Summer Party Massacre. Yeah, I think yeah. all of them are right. Yeah, um, I've so. seen the first one. I actually haven't seen the second one either, but um, I think the first one's a hoot. It is funny as hell. <laughs> I thought it was so silly. It's like not yes. my type. It's not my genre. So uh, see, watching I, the I, first one, I was like, oh god. I okay that makes sense I, I love goofy over-the-top horror like be, yes. be it intentionally funny or not I that to me is easy watching um mm-hmm. something I have to be in the mood for is something that's more meditative um yeah. and it's say I don't like those films I just I have to be in a headspace to watch them whereas dumb yeah. goofy shit I'm like oh no feed it to me <laughs> so back when we were all packing into movie theaters before the pandemic have you ever had any noteworthy experiences seeing a horror movie in theaters Good or bad? Good or bad. <laughs> I will say one of my most memorable film going experiences was at a TIFF screening. So the Toronto International Film Festival, I got to see the premiere of Darren Aronofsky's Mother. And <laughs> uh, speaking of sensory films, right, that yeah. I'm not sure I want to revisit, but I would. Uh, that film definitely had a younger critic completely checked out so he was on his very brightly lit phone throughout the entire second half of the film and people were getting really upset so one older critic gentleman next to me started to kick the seat and yell at him and tell him to turn off his fucking phone and it's like we're film critics we should be far more you know, even if you're not liking something, you should at least be giving it your attention because you're either reviewing it or you're considering purchasing it if you're a buyer. And like, we should be respecting people's crafts. Like we, yeah. we owe that to the film. Mm-hmm. This kid ended up, the, the person with the lit screen, he got so bothered that we were telling him to turn off the phone that he stood up and threw water all over <laughs> this other person. And then they almost got into a fight. And of course, the movie is still playing out while all of this is happening. And the kid ended up storming out before anybody could call security on him. But it was uh, it was a highlight. <laughs> wow. wow. Um, I'll go for something that's a bit more common. <laughs> so, no, I, I love watching being in the theater with people that are reactive, not making yeah. noise, but they're very reactive and shared reactions. So one of my favorite theater going experiences, I saw Hereditary twice in theaters, once at a festival, once like at a regular theater, once it came out. But mm. it is that moment when you see, when Alex Wolf is up and he's like, you know, in the room in the dark and Tony Collette's like floating in the yeah. corner of the ceiling. Yeah. But it's mm-hmm. but it's lit in a way so you can't see her right away. Yep. And mm-hmm. the light gradually, very gradually, yeah. almost imperceptibly starts getting lighter. And if you're in a full theater when you when you're watching it, especially for the first time, you hear sections mm-hmm. of the theater 
go, oh. oh, and then you'll start seeing people point. You'll see other and other people will start looking and they're like, oh my God. And yeah. so it's just like <laughs> echo of, of reactions as people start to see Tony Collette in the corner of the screen. And some people don't even see it. I talked to some people afterwards and they were like, yeah, what were people talking about? I kept hearing people like go, ooh, ah, gas. Oh, oh point. can you imagine missing that? <laughs> So it's those shared experience. And that's what I missed yeah. about the pandemic. What missed about theaters during the pandemic is those shared reactions, you know? It's just like, mm. be whether it's scared or funny or even crying. Like, I love I love seeing Marley and me in a theater and literally <laughs> hearing everyone around me sobbing. <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, whenever, whenever someone I'm interviewing asks me that question back, I'm always like, I always say that moment in Hereditary because mm -hmm. everyone's like, oh my God. Um, I felt like had... it was the Charlie beheading scene that everybody always ends up talking I mean, about in that film. That well, but, but... too, but it's that's a lot more. You don't have to be it's looking fast. out for right. that. It's fast. Like, that's yeah, fair. It, it's that gradual. Like, yeah, I, I just remember it was like surround sound where it was like, I would yeah. just hear someone over here, a group over here, a group over here, a group behind me, a group in front of me, <laughs> like at different times. Like, see, it was just, it was such a funny and terrifying experience. Yeah, I actually I, had that uh, like as a, a different sensory experience when I watched Don't Breathe. The theater was completely oh, full. Yes. And over the course of the film, I was like, I'm like, I'm on the edge of my seat. I'm really invested in what's happening. And I, I just felt really warm. And then I realized when the film ended that everyone was so on the edge of their seats and invested that the temperature in the theater had actually risen. It had gotten hotter because we were all so upset. And actually, Final Destination 5 was a great theater experience because when the Ooh, twist, when the twist yes, happens at the yes. end, it, it was not a sold out theater for me because it, that movie like underperformed. But like yeah. the people that were there clearly knew the franchise. And when the mm -hmm. twist when the twist happens at the end, you could just hear everyone go, "Oh, <laughs> oh no, they didn't." I wish I wish I had seen that in a theater. I watched it by myself on my couch during the pandemic, and I was uh, the whole time. Sorry, if you haven't seen Final Destination Five, yeah. I don't know what to say. What are you doing with your life? Yeah, um, but I the whole time I was like, "They're using such old technology. Yes, this mm -hmm. is such. Why does this feel so '90s?" And then I was like, "Now I know why." My, yeah, my husband got, texted got. on his phone at the beginning of the movie, and I was like, "Get put your fucking phone away. <laughs> and when the credits rolled, he showed it to me. He, like, opened his notes app and wrote prequel, question mark, on his phone. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, yeah, they are filming another one. Um, Jeffrey yeah. Reddick is location scouting right now, somewhere yeah. in Europe. I forget where. Um, Please let it happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I thought... Final Destination 5 was such a perfect ending to the franchise. Yeah. So yeah. I, I agree. I feel like this one might be a reboot going the reboot route, but yeah, we'll see. I just we'll want see. them to tell like a whole new story. Don't try to connect it. Don't even yeah. like and no 180 references. Let that all go and just do a new thing. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. But speaking of theater experiences, I got to see while I was in Austin, um, the Paramount Theater was doing like their summer cinema festival. Yeah. And oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I went to go see Independence Day which is oh one God. of my favorite movies. Um, and the theater erupted in applause when Boomer the dog jumps through yes, the fire. Yes. He, like, again, totally unrealistic. This dog beating the yeah. flames. But like, yes. oh, I remember that. That's one of the first movies I remember crying into. For some reason, whenever the first lady dies, I got so upset yeah. as a kid and I cried my eyes out. Yeah, there was a guy in that theater who I'm pretty sure he had never seen the movie before. Oh. And he did not sound like a kid, but he was laughing wholeheartedly at everything. Like it was the first time the he first had ever time. heard it. Oh, it's like, that's oh. amazing. Yeah. 
Um, so you guys see a lot of movies. What is your favorite horror movie so far of 2021? Mm. I do have this one. Okay, uh, you answer. I'm going to look mine up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, so currently, according to my rankings, um, okay, so it is PG Psycho Gorman. Um, yes. it, it's it's the most. It's just fun. It's you know, it's a, it's a horror comedy about this girl who basically ends up with a Power Rangers monster as a slave of sorts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and she tells it what to do. <laughs> but I, I do want to take the opportunity, though, to, to highlight a movie that I actually, it's not my favorite of the year, but I really like it. And it's Shadow in the Cloud, the Chloe Grace Moretz movie. Oh, it, yeah. It, it got some flat because Max, shitbag, Max Landis is a screenwriter. Yeah. But the director is a woman, and she, I think, did a lot of touch-ups on the script after Max Landis's um, yeah. shit came out. So I don't know how much of it was reworked, but it's basically Chloe Grace Moretz and, and 19, it's a World War II, and she sneaks, she gets aboard a plane and mayhem ensues. There may be a gremlin that's in the air with them that's trying to attack them. It is a, like an 80 minute movie mm-hmm. of pure ridiculous so over the top it's just just fun it's just a really fun movie and again the poster looks like absolute dog shit and i never would have watched it had i not just seen someone on twitter going this movie's super fun and i was like fun okay cool let me go Mm -hmm. it's it's a blast a blast of a film awesome so i will definitely co-sign on both of those picks they're on my list and i'll give a shout out to two religious horror texts that i think are pretty good but they both kind of got bumbled in their release so saint Maud is as good as everyone is talking about and then the vigil is equally good but i feel like people just aren't talking about it and they should be and i guess the the one that's my dark horse contender is in the earth. And I, I say that because I saw it at a film festival where I was unhappy with a lot of the other genre offerings. And then Ben Wheatley's film came along and just kind of blew me away. It is a little bit bloated. It is a little bit indulgent, but it really just worked for me. And I have to revisit it before the end of the year, because I don't know if that was a festival brain thing or if it's as good as I think it is. I, I think you'll feel the same. I mean, I, I, I liked it. I'm not as high on it as him, um, but I, I mean, a lot of people- Nice really choice of it. words, considering what they go through. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but eco-horror is becoming a thing right now. Like, In yeah, the Earth, it's, another, another movie it's about to come out called Gaia. That's also it's very, like, eco-horror. Um, <laughs> and I, I would compare the two. I, I prefer Gaia. My husband did not like Gaia and really liked In the Earth. So <laughs> <laughs> just different strokes. Yeah. Awesome. I have to watch the vigil soon. Um, my friends and I were going to watch it uh, during the next Jewish holiday, but there's not one coming up until September. So I think we're yeah, just going to have gonna to say like, it's a really like a rare example of Jewish horror. Like, yeah, there's, Jewish. there's also um, a Jewish horror movie called Hanukkah, but mm-hmm. my friend rented it and he was like, that was hot garbage. No, Don't bother. <laughs> no. I feel like the yeah. other good one is demon, which is the, oh, okay. Yes. I haven't heard of that. It's it's oh Pol- it's Polish I think. Yes. Um, oh. it, it, I did the festival circuit back in 2015, and uh, I I like I probably wasn't fa- I didn't re- I gave it like a two and a half out of five in my review for Bloody, but I, I know, but it, it was my first festival that I ever oh, covered, okay. and it was the first film I ever saw at a festival. Okay. Um, and so I think if I revisited, it, I would like it more. I remember being frustrated with the lack of closure, um, right? Which may have been the point. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 
on the flip side of that, what horror movies are you most looking forward to seeing in the second half of 2021? Oh, this is the easiest answer for me yet. Uh, I have been waiting for two fucking years for Candyman. I need Candyman. I have been wanting it. It is top tier for me. I just can't wait. I'm very excited for Candyman. I am even more excited for the new Resident Evil movie that's coming out because (laughs) I am an enormous fan of the games. They are rebooting the movie franchise. They are actually adapting the first two games, which I'm really confused about how they're going to do all that in one movie because that's a lot of fun. (laughs) Um, But it's also from the director of The Strangers 2 and both 47 Meters Down movies. And while he may not have the best knack for screenwriting, I think his screenwriting skills actually will work for Resident Evil, which is kind of an inherently like scary, cheesy franchise. And his visual style is going to work great for that. He can direct he can direct scares like he's yes. a, he's a good funhouse scares type of person and if he can do that like if he can bring some of the shit that he did with traders pray at night he combines fun and horror like legitimate scares so well and that to me is what resident evil is so i am so excited to see whatever this new version of this franchise looks like it's gonna be so canadian trace you'll love it <laughs> it's filled with canadians <laughs> I've never seen any of the Resident Evil movies. Maybe I'll have to check them out. Well, so the, his, fun. they're nothing like the games. The, no. They're nothing. Like I don't the play the games either, so I don't know. Then you're well, good. So when you watch the new one, just be like, okay, so this is probably closer in line to the games. Okay. All <laughs> if right. you watch, if you watch the old movies, just be like, oh, these are fun, but like they're nothing. Like, yeah, they just branch off. Yeah. Are you, Are you familiar with Silent Hill and that game? Um, yeah, uh, I actually never played them, but we covered the first Silent Hill uh, back in April, and I watched like full playthroughs on YouTube of, oh, the, wow. first, of the first two games just to see what they were like. Um, and yeah, I, I, I think they're great. I just I, I wish they would reboot them so I could play one. <laughs> mm-hmm. Update them a little. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so are there any horror movies that you love that people generally don't like, or do you hold any unpopular horror movie opinions? <laughs> yes <laughs> where to begin um i mean even like again sorority row is one i mean granted that people like it now but like people did not like it when it came out back in 2009 and i've been championing that movie for 12 fucking years mm-hmm. even i think uh our our preference for scream 2 over mm-hmm. the original screen we've been defenders of scream 4 for forever my guilty pleasure is I think that Hellraiser Bloodline is a really interesting, yeah. <laughs> flawed film. And people are like, oh, isn't that just the stupid one where Pinhead goes to space? And I'm like, it's got a badass female villain. It's one of the few films that tries to do three different timelines. Like, it, it's ambitious to a fault. And I recognize that it's not perfect, but I also really like it. That's one thing I've noticed, I've learned about Joe, though, in like the three or four years, three years, four, whatever, that I've known him. Uh, ambition goes a long way. Much how like good intentions go far with me, ambition goes a long way with Joe. Like, mm-hmm. It doesn't work at all. But. A little bit, yeah. Like I'd rather have something try and fail completely as opposed to like giving me the thing that I've seen 800 million times. Like it's the reason I have so much issue with a lot of like the contemporary meta horror where they're just like, Oh, scream did this. So I'm going to do it. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. I'll watch scream. Thanks. Like, what are you bringing? That's new to the table. Be ambitious. Tell me something new. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If you could remake or reboot one horror movie or franchise, which one would it be? Hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of something that's like not as popular, like that I, I would want to see. Like, I, I, um, 
I will go to bat for Tales from the Crypt Demon Knight. I think that that film should have been a franchise starter. And I think they should have stuck with Ernest R. Dickerson because I think he's a fantastic director. And there's a lot of promise in like, give me Jada as a badass final girl across five or six of these films. Um, I guess it's not that I don't think that the Tremors sequels have merit but i would actually love that poor franchise uh, mm-hmm. i would love to see like a, re- a redo of trimmers like back in theaters like keep yes. the practical, although i can't imagine doing practical effects now they're gonna do fucking <laughs> cgi graboids Oof. um but like i mean we have six or seven trimmers movies and only one went to theaters because it didn't do very well in theaters but it did mm-hmm. really well like i rented trimmers too from blockbuster so many times growing up <laughs> because i just thought it was so much fun um and I, I don't know. I just like, while the first one is such like a sacred piece of cinema, I, I, I would love to see a redo of that. I mean, I don't just, just, just I, not even me saying, oh, it's going to be better, but just like, I just want more of this world with like mm-hmm. a budget. Awesome. If you had to spend uh, quarantine with one horror villain, who would it be? <laughs> uh <sighs> Who would be a good roommate from the horror world? Mary Lou from Hello Mary Lou Prom Night Two. <laughs> that is a pretty fun pick. Yeah, that she, she, we'd be. I mean, like, yeah, she'd be a bitch the entire time. It'd be great. <laughs> you should. You should meet my friend Jody. He loves that movie, and he made me watch it once. And I was like, oh. Was it not for you? Was it too goofy? It was too eighties. So. Oh. <laughs> Yeah, I don't like 80s horror. <laughs> so that that is wow. See, take. that is a hot take. Yes. <laughs> I know. I know. I'm here all week. <laughs> um, who would I go with? I I think I would probably go with the queer couple played by Chris Sarandon and whoever that other guy is from Fright oh, Night, because <laughs> they they just be like bougie assholes who would be like, let's go antiquing or let's let's shop for fancy expensive things online. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, both of you, for being here. Do you want to tell everyone where they can find you and your podcast, Horror Queers, online? Yeah, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram and Letterboxd at Horror Queers. Um, we've got Facebook page, Facebook group, if you want to hang out with other listeners. And then for me personally, you can find me at Traced Thurman. That's my first name, last name with a D as in dog in the middle, uh, pretty much everywhere. And my handle is at Beast on my remote, and that's the letter B. <laughs> Awesome. Well, thank you. Thank you so much again for being here. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much for having us. That's it for this week's episode of Who's There. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Joe Lipsit and Trace Thurman. And thanks again to Joe and Trace for coming on. I'll leave links to their socials and where you can find them and the horror queers online. Again, we'd really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Who's There Pod. We're on Instagram at Who's There Podcast. Or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, horror movie recommendations, or you'd like to be a guest, shoot us an email at hello at Who's Until next time, stay scary and get vaccinated.